Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Welcome to Inside the Hive. This is your co-host, Joe Hagen, taking you inside the news with the people who make it and shape it. Today, we're asking, what's the matter with Florida? And specifically, what's the matter with Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis? Of course, Trump is in Florida at Mar-a-Lago and Palm Beach, but his biggest rival, potential rival for 2024, is Ron DeSantis, who in recent weeks has been ratcheting up the culture wars, signing this recent law, banning children from learning about gay and trans people in school, so-called don't say gay bill, and another law aimed at critical race theory, essentially banning it from curriculum. So today, to help me understand what's going on in Florida is his potential rival in the upcoming gubernatorial election, Charlie Crist, himself a former governor of Florida from 2007 to 2011, now congressman from Florida's 13th district. Welcome to Inside the Hive, Congressman. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be with you. This is pretty exciting. Yeah, well, thanks for taking the time. We were just mentioned talking a moment ago that, you know, my parents are in the, they're in the snowbird years. They have a condo in in your district in St. Petersburg. It's a beautiful Mm -hmm. city. And uh, it's the Sunshine City in the Sunshine it's State. It's Sunshine City, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. a wonderful place. And I'll just say, as an observation, I've been all over Florida and I've done a lot of reporting down there in recent times. But um, St. Petersburg is kind of a lovely gem in Florida because it's not as um, overly developed as some other places. It's got a sort of old fashioned feeling and it's like uh, it's a great atmosphere there. It's very cool. It really is. It's great. It's a great place to grow up and a great place to live. Yeah. So, you know, but I don't live in Florida. And like the rest of the country, I look down at what's going on in Florida. We've been writing about and noticing what goes on at Mar-a-Lago. And uh, I've been saying for years that Florida has kind of become a bellwether for what's going on in this country, especially, you know, since the year 2000. Uh, There's actually a terrific book out right now called The Year That Broke America by Andrew Rice. It's about all the things that happened in the year 2000, you know, the Florida election, of course. Uh, And it's largely set in Florida. And Florida has really defined a lot of what's going on. And of course, DeSantis is playing to the national stage with a lot of what he's uh, doing politically. No no question about that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my question about all of this has been, and maybe you can help me here, is, is the don't say gay bill, which has caused so much drama over the last couple of weeks and the anti-critical race theory, is this a... Speaking to Floridians, are they are they responding to it? Is it helping him? Joe, I think the fairest thing to say is uh, some are responding to it clearly, or or I don't think he'd be doing it. But I think it's a miscalculation on his part, and I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that. I think that he's playing to one particular audience, and and I don't believe the audience is Florida. I think the audience is clearly geared to twenty twenty four, the Republican nomination. 
And so it is the hard right, red meat, Republican primary base, not even general election uh, Republican, in the pursuit of the Oval Office, of the White House. And, and I think in pursuing that with such a laser focus, I think he's losing sight of the broadness of Florida, the purpleness that still exists of Florida. We're about a third registered Democrat, a third registered independent, a third registered Republican. So that, that Republican hard right base is probably delighted, but an awful lot of my fellow Floridians are very upset and uh, disappointed, including me. That's why I'm running for governor. Yeah. It's interesting to me. You, as some people may or may not know who are listening to this, you were yourself at one time a Republican. Yes. Uh, you were a Republican when you were a governor of the state. Mm-hmm. And and I should just point out the turning point for you was in 2012 when Mitt Romney had lost to Obama that year. But uh, you were seen on stage with Obama and were basically, in modern parlance, uh, canceled <laughs> from the Republican yeah. Party, essentially. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'd have to think that some of the elements that we're seeing now, the wedge issues over gays, some of the you know subtle race baiting. Uh, some of this stuff already existed in the party before that. Uh, some of it, yes. And, you know, I'm a hopeful, optimistic kind of person, idealistic, I guess, to a, to an extent. And I was a Republican because mom and dad were, <laughs> you know, originally. Yeah. And, and it's the same reason I'm a Methodist, because mom and dad are. And so uh, that's how I was brought up in the Republican Party. And the more I got into office, you know, I was attorney general before I was governor and then as governor, I started seeing elements in 2009, 2010 with the rise of the Tea Party that began to disturb me. And I think that that has only metastasized since and with the Trump presidency for sure. And I'm very comfortable being a Florida Democrat and excited about this race against Ron DeSantis uh, this year and think we have a great opportunity to get Florida back and let the nation know that this guy won the governorship by the smallest margin in the history of our state. And, uh, you know, he's not a Goliath, I don't think, or maybe he is, and, and we're David, I don't know. But um, I think we have a really good opportunity. Val Demings is going to be on the ballot as our nominee for U.S. Senate and really will boost minority turnout and women turnout. So I'm excited about the future. I really am, and about Florida and I think the real Florida is going to be known and come through this year. Yeah. Well, you, you know, the people that DeSantis is talking to Mm -hmm. say it's the hard right base, you know, but, and then the question for you going into this, because you're behind in the polls and matchups that people do. I mean, he's still the leading contender for governor this year. And there are some unknown quantity of people who are also going to respond to some of this stuff. And they're not just the Trump or DeSantis base. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that Republicans have locked in on these particular issues? Why are these issues resonating with people, would you say? You know, I don't know that all Republicans have. And, and you know, I still have some hope in my heart that there are moderate Republicans out there that are, are not turned on by this, but rather turned off by it. And, you know, let me put it this way. Governor DeSantis, in his State of the State address before the session began this year, uh, proclaimed that Florida is the freest state in America. Well, today in Florida, apparently not if you're a woman and want your right to choose. 
because they've taken that away. Apparently not if you're LGBTQ and you get harassed in our public schools now, um, or you can't even be acknowledged. Uh, apparently not if you're an African-American and you would like to vote without having, you know, the interruption of mail-in ballots and not having drop boxes in minority communities throughout the state of Florida. We are the most unfree state in America under Ron DeSantis' leadership. It's democracy versus autocracy. But now, you know, things have become so polarized. I wonder, is there a middle to speak to in Florida? That's a great, great question, Joe. And this race will tell us that. There's, there's no question in my mind. And, and I forgot to add another one to the list that he's taking off on. It's Disney World. And, um, you know, he's in a real a spat with them. What are they called? The happiest place in the world? <laughs> Unless you're yeah. in Ron DeSantis, Florida. <laughs> it's it's yeah. unbelievable. And I, and I wanted to ask you about that. How do you think yeah. that's playing? Yeah. I mean, that's like Disney is like a it's been a standard bearer of Florida entertainment, tourism and business for decades. And he's making a bet, it seems, that uh, that it doesn't matter. I, mean, I think it does. It's it's an as you would put it. It's almost it's an institution and an icon in our state and in our country. Let's face it. Um, Mickey Mouse is you know loved loved. I've never known of any Florida governor or any Florida politician for that matter that has attacked Disney World and Disney in general until this guy. And so yeah. I think Floridians are shocked. But even more shocking, Joe was the way he treated high school kids, when he uh, came to do a press conference at the University of South Florida, and they were wearing masks standing behind him at the press conference. Uh, And he really dressed them down, you know, yelled at them and berated them. I saw that. And I have heard from Republicans, independents, and Democrats that that was awful, you know, just just awful. And that was, you know, nonpartisan reaction. Have you met him before, Ron DeSantis? Once. Interesting encounter. So his last term in Congress was my first. And this was in 2017. And uh, there are two elevators that come out on the House floor to go to vote from, and they face one another. So my doors open, I look across, the doors open and the other one, and it was Ron. And so I'm a friendly guy. And so I said, hey, Ron, how are you? He goes, fine. And that was it. I mean, that was it. And I said, well, listen, I've just started hearing rumors. You're contemplating running for governor next year in 2018 and wanted to give you a perspective, you know, from a former one. If you do it and it works out for you, you'll love the job because you can do so much good for so many people. And he said, thanks, turn around and walked away. That was the yeah. encounter. Honest to God. Wow. It was yeah. unusual. I'm being generous. <laughs> well, do you think there's a, a difference between him and Donald Trump? What do you think is the difference? Uh, that's a that's a great question too. There's a lot of similarity, and and you know he really is a creation of Donald Trump. Donald Trump in, endorsed him about a month before the Republican primary for governor in 2018. At the time, Governor DeSantis was about 20 points behind Adam Putnam, who was leading the whole way. And then you know right after the endorsement from the then President Trump, all of a sudden DeSantis was 20 points ahead. So he he really did create. DeSantis. And there's a whole interesting thing going on there right now. The the only major Republican who's thinking about running in 2024 that has not said, if Donald Trump runs, I won't, 
is Ron DeSantis. And President Trump has endorsed all the Republicans running for the Florida cabinet for re-election, if they're running for re-election, except Ron DeSantis. So mm. that's that's one I didn't see coming. So I don't know where it's going, if anywhere, but it's, it's yeah, weird. Yeah, well, that's uh, everybody's paying attention to that. And as mm-hmm. we've said, he's DeSantis has obviously got his eye on the national stage. And just to talk again about these culture war issues that he's generating. Yeah. You know, it's almost like he's come up with a couple of novel wedge issues. They're not novel. They're actually old, vintage ones <laughs> that he's yeah, reanimated. Yeah, 1950s re- revisited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, but now the lieutenant governor of Texas is out saying they want to do their own don't, you know, don't say gay style bill. He's talking about trying to make it a top priority in the next session, they're saying over in Texas, right? Well, I heard People they just introduced attention. it in Ohio, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're so. What is at the heart of that? Don't you think that as somebody is, you know, running against DeSantis, I mean, on the one hand, you could just say, okay, that's they're being racist. They're appealing to uh, racism or appealing to homophobia with, with these laws. Mm -hmm. But why do you think it's resonating beyond that? I, I, I was thinking about this the other day. It was like, they've managed to tap into some fear that the schools are, sort of uh, locations for some, everything from grooming children for pedophiles to uh, hating their country and seeing their country as some sort of like based in racism and all these kinds of things. But it's basically turned people paranoid about the schools. That seems to be the essence of what they're tapping into. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, not everybody's a nice person. Not all people are good, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and so yeah. there there's an element of people in the world, you know that that aren't good, that aren't nice. Yeah. There's evil out there in the planet. Look at look yeah. at what's happening with Russia right now and Ukraine. There is evil on the planet. And and yeah. I think what we're seeing, and it breaks my heart that we're seeing it to any degree. I think we're seeing some of the just not good, bad stuff take hold. But this has happened before in in the history of the world. I mean, it you know. It happened in Germany. It's happening in Russia today. And so my hope and, and, and my prayer is that good will win out. And this, you know, hateful tone towards people that may, may not be uh, heterosexual dies down, that this negative approach toward uh, African-Americans is put uh, at bay and, and that, you know, we can have a more of a renaissance uh, approach and revival in the state of Florida after this election. I certainly hope so. I'm a hopeful guy. I'm an optimist. I'm idealistic. And I believe good will triumph over bad. And I view yeah. uh, the government we have in Florida now is bad, very bad. And, and it's sad. America has a problem one that is uniquely ours. On the new season of Long Shadow, I delve into the complicated history of firearms from the Second Amendment to the AR-15. I try to make sense of how we got here and how we might find a path forward. From Longlead, PRX, and Campside Media, in collaboration with The Trace, I'm Garrett Graff, and this is Long Shadow in Guns We Trust. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. One of the things that uh, you hear Democratic 
analysts talking about, analysts for the mm-hmm. Democratic Party. There's some debate in the Democratic Party about whether Democrats have failed to reach certain audiences, certain voter blocks, working class, you know, white working class, just people who, who for whatever reason, Trump and DeSantis have spoken to their fears and spoken to their anxieties, and that there needs to be some bridge building even to people that we might see as potentially uh, unpleasant. You know, we, of course, Hillary Clinton got in all kinds of trouble calling them the deplorables, right? But do you feel like that's possible in today's politics? To reach toward that and, and, and try yeah. to win support? I do, and maybe uniquely in Florida. And it relates to our economy. If you're a millionaire or a billionaire in Florida, you're doing great. But Florida has become unaffordable for the middle class, uh, as you characterize it. And, and I couldn't agree more because you can't buy a home unless you're a millionaire or a billionaire. You, it's hard to find rent that most middle class people in Florida can afford. Um, your utility bills are going through the roof. Property insurance is a nightmare all of a sudden. And none of these are being regulated. We have a housing authority in Florida that the governor and the legislature gutted their funding hundreds of millions of dollars. So there's no help for those who can't find housing because of that. You know, there's a public service commission appointed by the governor that's supposed to regulate utility companies. He's got people there that love the utility industry and grant every single rate increase they want. And the people that I work for in Tampa Bay get those bills every month. I get them too. And it drives you crazy. And so he is neglecting the middle class on the economic issues, kitchen table issues, Um, and the only way he's trying to appeal to them are these other cultural things. And at the end of the day, it's the economy, stupid. And we are focused, laser focused in my campaign on those kitchen table issues and having somebody as your governor who's got your back because this guy only has his back in trying to pursue the presidency with the cultural issues. He's forgotten about, you know, the economic issues that are really meat and potatoes in every state. Well, well, let me throw this out there, and this is a little bit of a challenge to this idea, because Mm -hmm. yes, for years, it was always the Bill Clinton thing. It's the economy stupid. But now I'm looking at unemployment in this country is as low as it's been in years, right? It's at a historic low. And yet Joe Biden's polling numbers are underwater. It's a weird thing. It's like suddenly we're in a, a different political reality where, you know, maybe the kitchen table things have been consumed by the cultural things uh, because every politician on the right has decided it doesn't matter anymore. You can just bang on the wedge issues. Does that concern you? Well, it does concern me. Absolutely. Of course it does. But I can only tell you, uh, and it's anecdotal, I'll admit to that. But as I travel the state, you know, people complain to me about their property insurance bill. You know, those of them who the companies haven't outright just cut and we're coming into hurricane season down here, you know, yeah. and uh, and they, you know, they talk to me about their utility bills. And so I, I think they're in touch with it here. I think they're concerned about it here. These economic issues, if you will. And and I think that, you know, I don't know how that hasn't translated into better numbers for the president, but I think eventually it will uh, in the way that he's handled Ukraine and and the, the great legislation for infrastructure, for example, that he's gotten done. Yeah. Well, one of the critiques of Joe Biden is that he hasn't communicated properly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
And, and some of this, by the way, and this relates to you, I think, and it relates to your race against DeSantis, because one yeah. of the re- reasons that Joe Biden got elected, one of them, was that he didn't, uh, wasn't really totally frontal in his campaigning against Trump. He, he laid back, right? Mm-hmm. He, mm-hmm. he, the rope-a-dope strategy, I, I used to call it, you know, he, he would, oh, yeah. he'd lie back and let Trump swing himself out and people got tired of hearing from him and they wanted some, some stability, right? Stability and civility. Yeah. And that worked, but then now he's in government and he's now in the white house and that same strategy isn't working in terms of communicating. And do you feel like, uh, you know, I, there was just a, a profile of you in Politico uh, this week yeah, and, you know, saying that you were a nice guy and that was part of your strategy and to an approach because DeSantis is bullying, right? It's not uh, really my strategy. I actually am a nice guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. And I, and I should make that, make that clear that that's for all I know, it's absolutely true. But I, but do you feel like uh, at some point you're going to have to be more confrontational with DeSantis? Well, I'll be more directly accurate for sure. And, and, and the way I, I, I prefer to voice that is I am a nice person, but never confuse my kindness with weakness. I think Reagan used to say that. And, and I will not be weak against this guy. And I will tell the truth about what he's done to the gay community, to the African-American community. One of the first things he said, Joe, when he got nominated for governor four years ago in a radio interview, I'm pretty sure, against an African-American nominee, Andrew Gillum, for the Florida Democrats. He said, well, you know, we can't afford to monkey this up. I mean, I I heard it and I was like, are you kidding? He didn't just say that, did he? So, uh, you know, I, uh, yeah, I'll I'll be straight and I'll share things like that with the electorate, with the people. Because it it happened, it was the truth. Um, it's what he said, and the other things that he's done to our state uh, on the environment, on public education. It goes on and on. I'll try yeah. to bring clarity to the debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you feel like your political fate in the twenty twenty two election that we're in the midterms that we're coming up to, but for the governor's race, mm-hmm. is tied to Joe Biden's polling? Do you feel like the Democrats across the country, but in specifically your situation, are tied to some degree to what's going on on the national level? Oh, to some degree. That's always the case, right? I mean, that has an effect. There's no question about it. It's just a matter of how much does it have an effect. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to the question. Um, I, certainly, it'll have an impact. I just don't know to the extent it will. Yeah. Have you talked to, uh, do you know people like who work, you know, whether lobbyists or executives who work for Disney in your state? I really don't. Um, they have reached out lately. I'm, I'm getting to know them now, Yeah, um, which, which I'm glad about. I mean, you know, I, I remember going there as a kid in the early 70s when it first opened with my family and stayed in the Contemporary Hotel. I mean, the, the place blew me away. You know, it's, you know, especially as a child, it's an amazing place. And uh, so I, I, to answer your question, I really don't know them that well. I'm getting to know them better. Yeah. Well, how do you think that they've handled things uh, with DeSantis? I think pretty well once they kind of got their footing. Um, I think the initial criticism of Disney was that they didn't advocate against this bill enough uh, before it you know, became uh, a law. 
Um, but I think that their actions subsequent to that have been pretty stellar, you know, under difficult circumstances and under a governor that really is vengeful. And to give you an example, when, when Walt Disney decided to come to Florida initially, he was able to get a virtually a, a municipality, a city for them uh, so they could do their own uh, coding and, you know, things like of that nature. Now DeSantis is talking about taking that away. I mean, that's how vengeful he is. And um, so, but uh, Disney has not been shy and I'm, I'm proud of them and what they've done to stand up to this autocratic kind of leadership we have here. Not easy to do. Yeah. I just wonder if there's a way to diffuse these culture war issues that aren't just saying he's being racist, he's being homophobic. I mean, and, and let me just throw this out there. You know, the new generation, I have three kids who are young, you know, 12 and 14 teenagers. Right. And they go to school and they come back and they are very different generation than what you and I grew up with. And I'm, I'm younger than you, but we're, but even I feel like uh, a whole leap has taken place over the last many years. And there are much more progressive views about gender and sexuality and identity. And, you know, no question. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, you know, in the sixties when kids came home with beetle cuts. Okay. It's like, this is a new, uh, thing. They're they're bringing something new to the world. And that became a whole transformation of the sixties. And, and now we, you know, that changed everything. And it was, has been with us ever since. And that's happening now. And a lot of more conservative people or just older people are confused by it and their kids mm-hmm. are coming home and the parents are confused. And yeah. this is what DeSantis is exploiting is this sense of anxiety about the instability of the culture and the instability of the economics. And they want some answers, right? And the low hanging fruit is to exploit that for fear, right? Sure. Which is exactly what the Republicans are doing across this country. Yeah. And my question is, do you think Democrats have a, a strong answer to that? Yeah, I think we do. And, and I'll tell you what it is. And this is going to sound corny to a degree, but I think it is kindness, goodness, decency, compassion, empathy. And, you know, I ordinarily wear almost every day a yellow uh, wristband that talks about something called the golden rule that I learned as a kid you know, do unto others as you would have done unto you. And I think to myself often that Ron DeSantis, I don't think he learned the golden rule. I don't think he knows what it is. Or if he does, he's chosen not to abide by it because he treats, you know, kids in school, you know, the African-American community to a large degree, uh, women and their right to choose, you know, does he want to be told what to do in his health and decisions? I, I think probably not, but he wants to impose that on women throughout my state, <laughs> you know? So I, I think he's missed the golden rule. And, and I think that the democratic counter to this authoritarian type of leadership that we're seeing that once, you know, it's like, yeah, you're free in the state of Florida if you do what I tell you to do from Ron, <laughs> which is not, yeah. it's just unconscionable to me. And it's, not being a public servant and serving with a servant's heart. It's just not. And it's heartbreaking to witness, but I think the counterpunch to it is kill them with kindness. That's an old expression, 
Um, yeah. And, and I think that that's what I'm trying to do to give voice to the voiceless, to uh, have, um, you know, the presence of God be acknowledged and not be shy about it. And that we need to be better to each other. We're all children of God after all. Yeah. And how is that, how do people responding to that when you're out there pressing the flesh? Quite well. I mean, I was pressing the flesh the other day in Orlando, and it was a meeting, a statewide meeting of African-American pastors with the uh, Baptist church. And uh, I, I said to them pretty much what I said to you just now. And um, I got a standing ovation from them. And, you know, it's like finally somebody's just saying it and calling it out. You know, there's there's good and there's bad in the world. And you know, I see good as being decent to other people and kind and gracious. It's like my mom used to tell me, you may have heard this before, Joe, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I mean, you know, my mother's the nicest human being I've ever met. And, you know, if I am nice, that's where it comes from. And, um, yeah. you know, so yeah, are people responding to it? Yes. I think there's a thirst for it. I think there is a, a burning desire to have some decency and civility, get rid of the bickering, you know, don't be so bipartisan. We're all, in my case, we're all Floridians. In the country's case, we're all Americans. You know, we can come together on a lot of things that most people agree about. I really believe that. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden starting March 19th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. And this is why I was bringing up Joe Biden earlier. I think that helped him against Trump. You know, this mm -hmm. sense of like, we want some stability from all mm -hmm. the noise, right? We live in this cartoonish freak show kind of media now. Yes. And the right has basically doubled down on on that, on creating a kind of alternate reality. You know, this this all this like pedophilia fear in the grooming of children and all mm -hmm. this stuff about gender and sexuality is basically uh, you know, half a step from QAnon. It's all coming out of that, out yeah. of these conspiracy theories about Democrats and about evil elites who are trying to manipulate you and 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 this conversation isn't just in Florida it's across no. this country it's across the world right now 
right? Indeed. And that's terrifying. And my question is, um, I'm looking at Joe Biden, who I think is a genuinely decent guy, yes. who is sticking to his guns on decency and trying to be uh, a decent person in his in the way he governs and in the way he communicates. Right. But people aren't don't seem to be responding. And I don't know if that's because the polls aren't right. I don't know if it's because people are addicted to noise and they need to they don't hear it unless it's noisy. Mm -hmm. And I worry for Democrats uh, that they that they're all going to be tied to Joe Biden's polling numbers. And right. I mean, I guess this election that you're involved in and in the one all the Democrats are going to be in this fall is going to be a, a test of some of this. No question. But what is giving you confidence right now? Um, my faith, <laughs> uh, the people I encounter when I go to, you know, as a Floridian, the public shopping center, the CVS, the gas station, the encouragement um, from everyday Floridians um, gives me a, a great deal of confidence. And I know it's a tough race. I'm not naive, you know, but I know it's a race that can be won. And uh, all I need to do is be true to, you know, the way I was brought up by my mother and father and, um, you know, the values that I learned from my Greek immigrant grandfather and just communicate that every day as much as I can. And, um, you know, lead by example uh, in some degree and um, hope that that gets through, that we have an opportunity to speak to other good folks like yourself, frankly, uh, in the media and, um, get this message of good out there. And one friend of mine was on a radio show and said, Charlie Crist is the golden rule candidate. And I had never heard that before. And I just was able to listen to it this morning. Uh, his name is Peter Sorch, uh, Florida politics, but you know, that, that has to get through. And if it does, then my confidence grows even more. And yeah. I think we can have a, a good victory for goodness in Florida in November. Well, at some point, it may come to pass should you get the nomination. And you have, we should note that you have a primary challenger. I, I have two of them. Yeah, and they're, yeah. they're friends and they're wonderful, capable candidates. Yeah. Fortunately, we're doing very well in the primary at this point. But the, it's yeah, one day I've noticed time. that in the polls, you're up. You're up significantly yeah. uh, in, the, in the Democratic primary. Um, but uh, how much do you uh, look forward to debating uh, Ron DeSantis? I can't wait. I, I'm anxious to debate him. I enjoy debating. And, and it's, you know, it's like I tell people, it's fun to run against this guy. Because in my view, he's done so much that's wrong. And, you know, to be able to call out uh, the lack of decent treatment of other human beings in my state by the governor himself. I take joy in exposing, you know, people that aren't, in my view, helping others. And yeah. I enjoy doing that as attorney general. I mean, we had corporations that were abusing consumers and um, I took great joy in fighting for them and being the voice for the voiceless. Yeah. But I look forward to debating. Yeah. Well, you know, you have to kind of um, know your enemy. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just curious, like, uh, what kind of person is he? Well, I only met him once, so I really don't know. But it was a pretty cold encounter. 
Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't really analyze properly or would that be fair, but he's just not the friendliest guy in the world is my sense of it. Well, I find it so interesting that he, you know, went to an Ivy League school and that he actually is himself (laughs) from an elite background in terms of his education. Indeed. And I guess if I were to try to, you know, I'm in a a position to be able to um, do some psychological analysis. Yes. And I would say that he's um, a deeply cynical person. Yeah. And, uh, And a lot of these positions he's taking and the things he's doing and saying, even that bullying of the kids on the stage. Yes, sir. Seemed like a setup. It seemed like some kind of like uh, theatrics, right? And we live in a yep. current political environment, which theatrics get attention, theatrics make the news. And in yep. often case, he's only speaking to the base anyway on, on right wing, you know, media. Right. And so the question is like, uh, how much is going on below the surface of all of this noise on the ground level in Florida? And yeah. is there anything you've seen in polling or that makes you think that he's vulnerable? Oh, yeah. I think he's terribly vulnerable. I, I, I think he has, you know, his support, I think, is a mile wide and an inch deep. Uh, I think he's really a paper tiger. And um, that's why I'm not afraid. You know, I mean, people have advised me, you know, Charlie, you have a great seat in Congress. You represent your hometown. You could probably stay there till you die. And, you know, I think they were genuine about that advice um, and saying, you know, this is going to be a tough race. Well, I don't care if it's going to be a tough race. I don't. I love Florida so much, Joe, and Florida's people that the leadership that I see coming out of the governor's mansion today is so disturbing to me that I know it's going to take somebody who's got name recognition. I know it's going to take somebody who maybe has already been governor. I know it's going to take somebody who can raise a decent amount of money, probably not nearly as much as the governor will have, but enough to communicate. And we're on a path to do that, you know, and get a few breaks along the way, have a wonderful person on the ticket above me in Val Demings. Um, You know, good things are happening and he is vulnerable and he continues to get more vulnerable every day as he pursues this red meat. And the one thing we haven't touched on is COVID and how he treated Mm. that. And, uh, you know, I hope that's way in the rearview mirror by the time October and November comes around, but I don't know. A lot of my colleagues in DC have now gotten it, as you know, Um, and uh, I I pray for them. But, you know, when, when you went to Harvard and you went to Yale, and so you're obviously of some intellectual capacity and you don't encourage people to get vaccines. You don't encourage people to wear a mask inside during the height of the pandemic. And you sign an executive order that says kids can't wear a mask in school. And this became personal to me. I have a five-year-old niece that lives here in St. Petersburg. First time she went to school was last August. The governor signed that executive order a month before school started that they couldn't wear masks. She goes to school. Nobody's wearing a mask. Two days later, she contracts COVID. Five years old. Of course, she goes home at night. She has a two-month-old sister. Two days later, the two-month-old contracts COVID. So while he's making political points, the people of Florida suffer. And now, my thank God they're okay, but my two-month-old niece and my, my five-year-old niece are one of the over five million people who got COVID in the state. And I can't help but wonder in my mind, now that we're approaching almost 80,000 Floridians that are dead... If the governor would have led a little bit better on believing in science and appointing a surgeon general that 
believed in science, how many, mm-hmm. how many of those people would still be with us? I don't know. Yeah. But it pains me to think about it. And because he's as smart as he is doing what he did, I don't think he realized that or didn't realize that it had consequences and he did it anyhow. That really bothers me. It scares me. Yeah. What do you think will be, is there a, um, you know, we talk about the the sort of racial dog whistles that we hear from the right kind of embedded in this and some of the policies that DeSantis has promoted. But at the same time in Florida, one of the things that people say and has been said is that that the Hispanic vote in Florida has moved closer to the right and especially with Trump. Mm-hmm. How determinant is that going to be in the coming race? Well, that that's important. And, and I don't know is the honest answer. Uh, I will tell you, though, I, I recently took a trip to Puerto Rico about two weeks ago. First time I'd, I've been to the island. And, and uh, it, it was beautiful. The people were beautiful and warm and the food was amazing. <laughs> and the Puerto Rican population today in Florida is 1.2 million. And of course, Puerto Ricans are Americans. So, you know, they don't have to go through, you know, if you come here from, you know, Bolivia or Chile, you have to become obviously a citizen before you can register to vote. Not so with Puerto Ricans. So it's, it's a huge growth of the Hispanic vote in Florida, maybe the largest now, frankly, and, and leans more Democratic than Republican. And so I think that will be a factor. And, you know, working with the governor of Puerto Rico, uh, who I've come to know recently, and his family is already helping me in my campaign. I'm grateful for that. I think that can be a significant factor before it's all said and done. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, you know, at least with the sort of the Cuban population, which is, you know, has hit a history of being conservative mm-hmm. anyway, but the buzzwords that the right uses to exercise people's passions is this idea of wokeism, you know, mm-hmm. that people's liberties are going to be, you know, attenuated somehow by by this in the educational process or just in, in the culture at large. Right. How do you sort of thread the needle between trying to s- tell people that that's not, uh, you know, frankly, what I always find uh, uh, hilarious about it is just that it's not, it, it really isn't something you encounter in your daily life that frequently a lot of people Mm-hmm. Um, but they're worried that they're being told by the progressives that they have to behave and act a certain way. And then they get their back up. And then here comes DeSantis to exploit that, right? Well, it's exactly the opposite in Florida. DeSantis is telling us what we can do and telling us what we can say, telling our universities they can't even come and you know testify on a bill uh, against voting. And I call it against voting intentionally, um, telling women what they can't do with their own body. I mean, it's exactly on its head in Florida. We have a governor who is the one who's telling us what to do, what you can do, what you cannot do. And then he tries to turn it around and say, it's the liberal woke that is telling you what to do. He needs to look in the mirror. <laughs> it's him. <laughs> it's yeah. it's yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's ironic. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's how you campaign um, against this guy. Tell the truth. Yeah. I think. If you could uh, say something to him, to Ron DeSantis, Mm -hmm. in your kind of most direct and unfiltered way, what would you say to him? 
I wish you could be a more kind, caring person. I wish you were. I'm afraid you're not. And that's why I'm running against you. Yeah. Because Florida deserves better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I wish him well, you know, after he leaves the mansion. But but he's not the right person for that job. People need somebody who cares about the people, you know, that has their back. It was Abraham Lincoln, Joe, who said, government should be of the people, by the people, and for the people. Sadly, in Florida, we have a governor who is of his political future. And that's not fair. It's not right. Well, that is, um, those are the things, all your things you're saying are just the basics. You know, it's uh, the basics of our constitution, of our founding ideas and, you know, even the founding and some of the just core religious precepts that, you know, keep society marginally glued together. Right. Um, and so you're sort of betting on, on just being a very kind of, I guess, returning to some just basic ideas. Yeah. Of basic fundamentals. Look, none of this stuff is really complicated. Shouldn't be. I mean, you know, as I alluded to early, earlier, you know, just doing the right thing. What Spike Lee, didn't he, isn't he the guy who directed that movie? Do the right thing. Yeah. It's just yeah. do the right thing. Damn it. You know, just yeah. be good to yeah, each yeah. other, be kind to each other, care about each other, care about, you know, our environment, nature, God's creation. Yeah. Do the right thing. Well, I wish you the best on that. And I, um, I would, uh, you know, second that emotion, as they say. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that we're looking out at the kind of political spectrum. It's easy, especially we in the me- media. Uh, we're paying so much attention to it, and the negative stuff gets a lot more attention. Yeah, and it can distort your view of reality and make you think that people are bad. <laughs> you know, yeah, and that know. they want guys like DeSantis, that they want Trump. You know. They want a flag to wave. They want a bumper sticker to put on the car. They want to be angry. They're addicted to anger. And, they, and the anger makes them feel good because they, underneath the surface of it, is an insecurity, right? right. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, and I'm just going to say this as a closing thing, and if you want to respond, you can, but I feel like Democrats uh, haven't solved the problem of how to make these people feel less insecure. Well, I think there's a way. And, and I think it's reaching to the better angels in all of us. Um, I really do. And, and I, I know that sounds corny, but if ever there were a time to try to bring us together as a nation and bring our people together, it's needed now. And, and I really sense, you know, when I go door to door, people say, uh, when I, before I got elected to Congress, if you go up there, can you stop some of the bickering? And I formed the Civility Caucus when I got there. Uh, because of what I heard from everyday people here in Florida. And I think it's only exacerbated now and that the people really generally are thirsty for for decency and civility and kindness and, and a coming together. Certainly that element on the other side is going to be there, but I think a majority of people are good and I'm counting on it. <laughs> well, well, Congressman, thank you so much for coming on Inside the Hive. Thank you. We're really grateful for your presence here today and keeping us uh, up to date on what's going on in Florida. Well, please call me Charlie. And, um, and thank you, Joe. As I told you, that's my middle name. There's no bad Joe, including yeah. the president. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Bet. All right. We'll, uh, we'll catch you up the road. Look forward to it. Thank you, Joe. 
And that's our program this week. I'd like to thank our guest, Charlie Christ, for coming on Inside the Hive. I'd like to thank my co-host in Abstentia, Emily Jane Fox. She'll be back next week. Thanks to our producer, Brett Fuchs. Thanks to the people at Cadence 13 who helped make this happen. Please hit subscribe. Come back again and again. Please support our sponsors the way they support this program. And we'll see you next week. Three, two, one. Political Breakdown is a daily politics podcast from KQED in San Francisco that goes deep into the issues you care about. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Look, 2024 is going to get weird. Who decides when there's been an insurrection or not? We're still in the innovation phase of AI. And that is where you see that they're not actually being equitable and trying to build a utopia where we can all use drugs happily together. <laughs> but whatever happens this election year, the KQED politics team is in this with you. Political Breakdown. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. From PR.